0: Hello everybody, welcome to the show. Wow, I have been so busy, guys. Holy cow. In, in, a, in a great way. Busy in a busy in a great way. Uh, whew, stretched a little thin at the moment, but feeling good about it. Launched my new podcast with Ramin Nazer, Mind Under Matter. And so excited about it. I mean, not only are we doing that, but we're doing a whole separate Patreon series, Mind Under Art, where we talk about his art on there. So it's just been a lot to uh, get into. But within that, the good news is for you guys, it's been, I've been learning a lot. It's a big part of why I have uh, this kind of new studio set up here. We're working on kind of revamping various things from audio video to editing aspects and uh ramping up the patreon for my personal patreon for here we are within that i'm going to start doing uh a here i am podcast when i reach the first goal which we're almost there which is basically getting this podcast paid for we're almost there on patreon and if you go whatever time you're listening to this you can see how far along we are and then i'll start releasing that show um once we have all of the editing expenses um taken care of for here we are and um and so it's just a way of uh you know, I like I like blabbing a lot in the intros and outros. It's a way of me just really getting into some of my abuse on things and going off on some rants and stuff. And so, doing that also added from my 111 city tour. Um, of, there was only one recording ever made of it. It was for. Some pieces were shown. Uh, it was like some of the the, the nicer stand up footage in um, in psycho in the documentary Psychonautics. Um, that recording I put on Patreon. I I was always planning to make that show a special. There were a number of various hurdles, and I was going back and forth with a few things, and basically kind of wanting to move on to other projects. I was still planning on making it a special, but COVID happened, plans change, and it's kind of cool, I realize it's kind of a cool thing um, just to have out there in the world as sort of a bootleg, uh, so if you go to Patreon, 97 minute uh, special, um, well, not special, it's just a one camera shoot, there wasn't, you know, we didn't have the whole... Uh, set up and, and everything else I was never planning on Releasing it We were just going to take a few Clips out for the documentary But now you can watch the whole thing uh, 97 minutes of my favorite show That I've ever put together Available on Patreon right now So check out the Shane Moss Patreon And so many things going on guys So uh, it, it won't uh, Although there's been a few a few Delays as we've been putting the massive amounts of things together and adding so much and animation and all these crazy things we're doing for Mind Under Matter, So you can go uh, to mindunderpod.com and check out all of what we have going on over there. At the time I'm recording this, we have episodes zero, one, and two released as well as three other episodes on Patreon. And uh, so just lots to check out there. And, um, and, but anyway, we, we're starting to get things under control. I think by, by May, we're going to be a pretty smooth running operation, but been adding so many things and doing like the group hangs on my Patreon and stuff like that. So appreciate the support. It's actually, I'm so happy that I took the chance and made this show Patreon only stopped doing ads. Um... I'm just liking it so much more. I like building, building the community. I like being experimental and having a kind of a behind a paywall place for things that I'm, uh, uh, you know, playing around with or just offering as exclusives and bonuses and stuff. Um, Like my, uh, like the recording from my tour, I wouldn't just put that on youtube or anything like that because who knows maybe i will still make it a special one day but uh to be able to release to super fans like you guys it's it was uh it's pretty fun that i've been able to do that and get a bunch of cool feedback from you guys so check that out and enjoy today's episode Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Heather Sedges, associate professor, of Family and Consumer Science is joining me. Heather, thank you for joining me today.
1: Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: And could you give the listeners a little bit of a background? We're going to be talking about, um, I mean, you you study, we kind of went back and forth a little bit because you talk a lot about um, childhood stress and then you talk about farmer stress as well. We love the subject of stress generally on this show um i uh, f- we find ourselves talking about it uh, quite a bit it's a huge ripe field that's never ending and so i was looking at it this morning and i was like maybe we should focus on one of these let's talk about the farm stuff but why don't we um wh- why don't we give the listeners just a general sense of who you are in your background
1: all right well um, cheesy mom joke warning, don't stress about what we're gonna talk about um, <laughs> because we don't want that happening. Yeah, um, yeah. so, um, so I'm Heather. I um, I went all the way through school at the University of Tennessee, got my bachelor's and master's and PhD here. They told me not to do that, that I would never get a job and I would never work at the University of Tennessee. But um I don't I don't listen very well. And so here I am with a job at UT.
0: You've just and refused I, to leave. They yeah, just I, simply just, cannot get rid of you.
1: Oh, I'm I'm dug in like a tick at this point. <laughs> um so uh I, I love the University of Tennessee. I love where we're going and what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um I've been about seven years in my position right now. And uh, it's it's been a real thrill. My background uh, started out wanting to be a teacher. And then I went into the classroom setting and realized I was exhausted all of the time and that I didn't have the stamina to be a teacher. So way to go teachers. Um, So I ended up going back to grad school and I just kept following all of the questions and curiosities that I had. I started out really looking um, and doing a lot of research with infant brain development and Then I transitioned into really wanting to make um, interesting insights about how families function together uh, towards the development of their children. And uh, then in my last semester in grad school, I had a major existential crisis that I realized I didn't want to just teach in the college setting. I wanted to actually make change out in communities. So that's when I pivoted a little bit and um, really sought after a career where I could work in community settings. Uh, And so I started out as a program evaluator and then came over here to UT when the position opened. But um, so my job really is about translating research into practice. And so what that means is that I get to come up with really fun and interesting Ideas like programming, um, parenting, family relationships, how we can transform communities to support healthy families and and children's development. So um, my ultimate goal, I always say, is uh, I just want to help as many people as possible. And so that's transitioned from uh, where I started to where I am now.
0: Awesome, and so you're a part of the uh, One Health Initiative. That's how we were put together. Uh, we have uh, listeners have heard um, past guest Nina Fefferman on a few times, and uh, and Deb Miller back in November. And uh, can you? Uh, and so I'm I'm starting to kind of help and coordinate. I believe in what they're they're doing, which is many of the things that you seem aligned with as well i and i'm i'm uh up for uh uh especially i mean i launched this podcast with the intention of getting good information out there to the public and in the hopes that that in whatever small way it makes the uh The world a better place to live in, and the One Health Initiative seems like a really uh, ambitious and interesting organization that is uh, looking at kind of an interdisciplinary approach to uh, saving the planet, basically. Can you talk a little bit about the One Health Initiative?
1: yes um and we have stopped short of putting on our captain planet costumes um, (laughs) and taking off but we do feel that it is important and that it is contributing to saving our planet and saving our world but the one health health initiative you know it was actually born out of veterinary science and um it has evolved to incorporate um a really holistic inclusive view of how we understand the world around us and um how things influence each other and the the vision i'm a very visual person so if any of your listeners are like me um they can start at this point thinking about gears cogs and gears and and how they all work together how if we move one the, the remaining gears will shift as well and start to turn. And that's really what One Health is about. We all have our individual disciplines, so we're all our individual gears. But we all influence each other, too. And so um, the part that I get to bring to the table is about humans and about uh, how they interact with their world and how we function. But, like, Nina is really great at understanding the the trajectory of something based on what we know in the past and she can do these really cool mathematical models to figure out all of that and then there's deb miller who is so brilliant with her work in um understanding the the origin of disease as it transmits from animals to humans and talk about the importance of that coming full circle right now during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, just today, the WHO put out their announcement about they're, they're confident in their findings about where everything started. And so uh, we have these scholars that are sourced for, at least at UT, we're all uh, at the University of Tennessee, we're all internal right now, um, but One Health is a global initiative. And so there are centers for excellence related to it. There are people who are considered preeminent One Health scholars. And really to be in the field of One Health and to really consider yourself a One Health thinker, if you will, you really have to have just a voracious appetite for information because you can start to connect the dots. And so maybe there's also listeners that love those crime junkie podcast types of things. And uh, they talk about those string models where you can put, you know, connect one thing to the other, to the other. And that's what One Health does. So we have somebody say, okay, well, we know we have this, this water issue in a community. Um, How is that going to affect how kids are, um, you know, functioning in their schoolwork or, you know, and how do we connect all of those dots together? So really one health is about understanding all of the things as they work in and around each other.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, amazing. I, I love everything that they do. And, uh, what's so, So this the work that you do, that's kind of the most related to the one health initiative. We're probably going to dive into the most um, today, which is a lot of uh, a lot of interesting work about about farmers and uh, and stress. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So um, and Admittedly, I do not come from a farming family. I um, I do not come from an agrarian background. I'm I'm a little suburban girl from Knoxville, Tennessee. My accents from Jersey because my parents just kept telling me to walk the dog. Um, so, but I'm so here I am. And um, what happened was at the beginning of the pandemic, the um, USDA and National Institute for Food and Agriculture, NIFA, um they put out a call saying, hey, we know farmers are struggling. And they knew this well before the pandemic. This did not was not born out of the pandemic. We've actually seen agricultural crises. It kind of goes in cycles. We've seen it, saw it in the 80s. And so here we are again seeing um, Farms and agriculture really struggling for a variety of issues, but um, so USDA and FFA put out this call, and they said um, we're looking to address and help farmers and the whole ag world, if you will, uh, in a really big way. And so they established uh, uh, four—they call them networks—and so. Uh, we were able to earn the grant for the southern region. So our southern region represents 13 states. We go from Texas up to Oklahoma, uh, Arkansas, Kentucky, uh, Virginia, and then down the coast, uh, Florida and Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, all of those, and everybody in between. So um, we are in this southern network. We also have a north-central version of this type of grant, uh, Northeast and West. So four networks are designed to come together and understand what's happening for farmers, ranchers, foresters, uh, and what what are really the root causes of their stress um, and what can we do about it? Not only as individuals and in communities, but at the policy level, and um, just uh, an, an infrastructure types of ways that we can respond to it. So, so this work, this farmer stress work was born out of this grant, although I can, we can fill in the blanks too, because um, many people have been working on this topic for decades and decades. So, uh, but this grant in particular, University of Tennessee, we're so honored to be leading it. And we were supported with uh, UTE's One Health Initiative and the scholars there really contributed their insights and to understanding a really complex issue. Um, So we've got uh, some money over the next couple of years to really address Uh, the needs of farmers in our farming communities. And when I say farmers, by the way, Shane, I'm also talking about ranchers and foresters and all of it together, but Mm -hmm. I tend to just say farmers.
0: So I was just, I was just looking at this paper, um, the agrarian imperative and that you sent me. And it's, I think it's kind of, uh, really up the listeners' alley a little bit because we talk quite a bit about evolution and and the the evolution of humankind and everything. Before I, I I'm sure that I'm I'm sure probably a uh, higher percentage of my listeners have read or know about the book *Sapiens*. You know that came out re- recently and got all of the buzz. Uh, then uh, it, so so there's um a Anyway, I know I know people will kind of be interested in in this subject generally in the background and then where we are today, which is a a very different and evolving world that even in my. So my my background, I I guess I'm from a suburb ish uh, if and I uh, but I'm I'm kind of surrounded by uh, in a little city of La Crosse, Wisconsin where I grew up was maybe 50,000 people when school was in or something like that. And then, um, it's two and a half hours to, uh, like Madison or Milwaukee or Minneapolis. And in between those areas, it's like nothing but farmland. And, and I remember going to family, friends houses. My parents are from small towns and like real farm towns and, uh, you know, going and seeing hanging out with chickens and pigs and stuff growing up and boy it, it it sure i I think I was uh about the last of the generations to really get to see uh the old McDonald kind of uh kind of farm uh, and granted there's like the organic and free range stuff and things like that taking taking off um but uh but but that old that old classic idea of what farming was that you that you that they they gave you in all the children's books and everything like that uh, doesn't really exist anymore so can you talk a little bit about um this this idea of the agrarian imperative
1: i'm happy to yeah it's god it really is very very interesting so this this construct the agrarian imperative was um put out there by um dr michael rossman and um and this is about about 11 years old it came out in 2010 and um it's this notion that um farmers it it's it tries to explain why people engage in agriculture like what are the the rudimentary evolutionary psychological um, catalysts that make farming or creating or um, claiming territory as your own, or um, like what, what makes that such like an imperative for us, basically, why is that so important to us as humans that um, we do enjoy watching things grow and develop and um it goes along with the idea about domesticating animals and cultivating things why do we like to create this is all he talks a lot about this like what are the 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 rudimentary um aspects of this and what's interesting is that he took this idea about this evolutionary idea that that we are hunters and gatherers and and we in order to be protective of our clans and our and our groups of people that we um staked out our land and we defined our territory and but along with that he talks about how those very um notions have then been passed down so it's this epigenetic um transmission if you will of hard work Mm-hmm. Maybe of a hard a hardworking sentiment, you know, people very anecdotally sometimes say, "Oh, well, farmers are the hardest working people." Well, this agrarian imperative kind of says, well, yeah, in fact, they are, and here are the reasons why. And it goes on to really expand this notion into um, how farming has changed over the past hundred years. And yet our genetics haven't changed our evolutionary pull to want to be creative and provide. And this is, this is my legacy to the world, right? That those embedded aspects to us that hasn't changed, but -hmm. because of different farm crises and different things like that, that still it's making it difficult to express those very rudimentary, polls, if you will. And that's leading to a bit of, um, I wish I had a little bill cause I'm about to use one of my favorite words. Um, ding, cognitive dissonance. Um, it really leads to this dissonance between how, uh, how farmers and producers, um, feel very deeply their obligation to provide and sustain our society um, and when they're unable to do that, whether it's financial factors, weather uh, political ennui, whatever you might say think it is, and it may be all of those factors, um, it really creates um, this dissonance, this very difficult ability to, to rationalize and justify some of the more difficult decisions that have to be made on a farm to maintain sustainability
0: yeah so so you have uh you have hunter gatherers, you have these these neat uh, human species starts taking off everywhere and cooperating more and forming larger and larger. Uh, uh, tribes potentially and and some start migrating elsewhere in the world and it kind of seemed like there was uh, you know from a zoomed out perspective abundance everywhere you looked granted you'd have to find it I'm sure there was a lot of rough days and <laughs> yeah. and, and weathering plenty of storms and and uh, having to fast and uh sp- sprinting over after something that was much faster than you for six hours in the sun to wear it down and and uh, and, and not easy but but um the, we had my guest from Duke Herman Ponser on recently that talks a bit about a lot of a lot of species um, you can kind of predict how territorial they are based on their based on their tooth shape because they can. Uh, because if, if they're eating vegetation, there's no need to be territorial. Vegetation's everywhere. If you're right. eating fruit or or if you're a carnivore or whatever, that potentially might need to uh, be a little more territorial. And so there is this old notion of like, well, and then you'd run into another band. So that's where this other like uh, this in and out group behavior uh, came from or, or or we possibly drove the Neanderthals into extinction. who knows what happened there exactly And uh, and and it's usually the in and out group stuff is kind of framed uh, going back like that but there's there's also when agriculture came around, all of a sudden you were able to uh, accrue all of this wealth, and now all of a sudden that looked a lot more appealing now you now you had something that was worth guarding uh, right. all of your belongings weren't just like in whatever little hut or uh, carry carried with you each day and it and and perhaps it's it's then that made us become a little more territorial and everything. and And so then along the way, maybe uh, like like all of our drives, we have we have like the external and the intrinsic, uh the extrinsic and intrinsic rewards for things. And so, along the way you develop the sense of pride that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not just like, look <laughs> at how many ears of corn I had you. This uh, is
1: why, Gene, this is why we, people get obsessed with their lawns. Um,
0: yeah, they, exactly. Right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> and, and that sort of thing. I'm really curious what, what people will say years from now about our tooth structure. Like, oh, these people obviously had to fight for the rotisserie chicken in the deli counter area. Like, <laughs> What does that look like?
0: Yeah, we won't need teeth in in a few generations. (laughs) We're better off, really. Don't like the dentist? No problem. You just have gums now and and straws that are biodegradable, of course. Oh man, if anybody
1: hasn't tried sustainable uh, straw options out there, they need to. They're great.
0: Um, so, so this, this sense of pride that comes along that has been built through the generations and land has been passed on and, and this isn't just, uh, go, go into your nine to five clock in clock out and you get your paycheck and whatever. That's just this thing that you, you get through, uh, the day to put food on the table this is, this is your everything. This is your property. This is your inheritance. This is what you're passing on. This it's is
1: not just your everything. It's everyone else's everything too. When you are the one pro- protecting and producing the sustenance for mm. your group. So it's not just, and then it's, it's not just your family that's good or you that's going to suffer if you, you know, aren't able to make something grow, it's an entire group of people. So it's like this larger existential sense of responsibility. And and I know that might sound like really reaching, but this is what farmers are reporting that they're feeling like. They're feeling Mm -hmm. like they're not just letting themselves, themselves down or their families down, but society down. And I don't know about you, but that seems a little, that's heavy right
0: yeah yeah i mean even even just at the at the start of COVID, of of all all of us that are so detached from from that world and can't possibly put ourselves in the mindset of what it's like to be a farmer and I, i i i mean a couple of farm visits as a child doesn't make me an expert in any way but we we see on the news all of this milk being poured down the drains right. and right. and everything else. And, and, uh, it, I'm, I'm sure that's the same. I, I just watched this movie, uh, dark water recently. Mm. That was about, um, uh, uh, the, the, the Teflon in, um, and dupont uh the dupont lawsuits the, the teflon was being poured into like it was wow. going into farmland and killing all the cattle and stuff like that but you can you can imagine things like that have a virus goes through your mm-hmm. uh your stock or whatever else or you have a bad year weatherwise and everything like that and so so it's not uh, there there's not Like now this intrinsic thing of of like you're muscling through everything and you have whatever tornado tornado come through or whatever. And now
1: they just catch a break.
0: (laughs) Your very identity is connected with these this randomness within these chaotic systems that are far bigger than any uh, any individual could ever hope to uh, uh, control or or predict and and that's only becoming more and more um prevalent as as uh the way of old mcdonald is kind of uh becoming a thing of the past
1: you know you mentioned something just a minute ago about it's not the nine to five and you're so right farming is, and and producing in and these agriculture agricultural settings is it's 24 7 because so what happens then is they're always on. They don't get to ha- they don't get to call in sick, right? Mm-hmm. Who's going to take care of of their operation if they want to go to, you know, a, a Caribbean vacation for a month? That that doesn't happen. That does. That's not like a thing for farmers, right? They don't get to take prolonged um Excursions,
0: or- <laughs> especially because you probably had kids to have farm hands, so now you can't. Your farm hands are your family that you would hope to bring with you on the family vacation, or whatever. Or maybe so. hope to
1: not bring with you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. um, but like, it's just so it's twenty four seven. So like, for some of us, like I feel very lucky. I um, now my brain doesn't stop, so I'm always thinking of fun work projects to do because I really enjoy what I do. But I get to, at the end of the day, turn my computer off and make dinner with my family, listen to a little music, you know, have some have some relaxing time. Whereas with farming, they're up and at it, you know, plugging away every single day and then watching the weather for the next day, um, adjusting what needs to be adjusted, um, in, for whatever the commodity might be and so it's it's just constant it is it's unrelenting and it's um they don't get to turn it off if you will
0: mm-hmm. yeah and it's not it's not just food on the table it's it's not just your entire families and multiple generations legacies it's you providing for uh, for your your town your city your state maybe your nation yeah. and uh and <laughs> and then not even I,
1: feeling like appreciated we this is something yeah. interesting that we learned and some of our research um was you know the, this whole idea of like and i'm gonna admit i'm as guilty as the next person i did it just yesterday at the grocery store i was like why in the world is chicken so expensive well there's a lot that goes into it and so what happens is that we start to say oh well it it because we don't understand all of the issues or we may not be aware of all the influencing factors that drive um prices on you know our food up and down uh that we we blame who we think might be influencing and that's the farmer the producer right oh they're charging too much for that well it may not it may not be their fault at all um it could be because there were massive floods that wiped out an entire soy crop and now there's not enough feed for the animal like so it all cascades and impacts each other so um so this idea that you know we might say oh yeah we support farmers we love farmers but it's like this very pollyanna-ish um utopian um isn't that so sweet kind of notion when in reality these guys don't they're not feeling appreciated they're not because it's just one hit after the other, after the other, after the other, and I should say these guys and ladies, uh, these, these people in general um, are working really, really hard, um, and yet we're still demanding more and more of them. Um, we want them to produce more and better and more organic, but we don't want to pay more for organic. Like, why would I pay more for organic? Um, well, because they're on their hands and knees pulling weeds, not spraying the weeds, you know? And so there's like all of these really interesting factors. So the, the public perception or the, the, um, how we have really, um, You know created this this um ideal around the farmer the farmer narrative if you will kind of persists and contributes to some of that stress that they might be experiencing as well that it's not easy it's not that they get to just go and sit back and chew on some straw from their tractor
0: yeah I, I mean i i i don't i don't think that any listener when they actually none of us appreciate farmers probably as much as they deserve but i don't i don't think any listener has in their mind that farming is some easy job but i doubt people are uh mindful i i know i wasn't of of the um uh, kind of asymmetrical amount of stress that that farmers uh experience and this has actually been studied right can you you share can you share a little bit of
1: yeah and you know it's interesting uh it's been (sighs) some of this has been anecdotal for a little bit um, uh, but in the probably about the past twenty years really more in the past ten years or so we've been seeing increased research on um, the root causes of farmer stress and so we've touched on some of it Some of it is uh, this this idea that they're working hard with little validation, um, just keep taking the hits. But a lot of it is, we do know, and we hear from farmers, um, that, you know, there's a lot of safety concerns that, um, that are associated with farming. And so, um, the hypervigilance that's needed to maintain, um, safety on the farm, uh, is one of those stressors. Another stressor is that big one is finances. So I don't know if any of your listeners have been where they've had driven next to a combine in a rural area. And you can literally, if you wanted to, I don't suggest doing it drive underneath it. These things are huge, right? Huge. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't just like save up your pennies for that. That's mm-hmm. a major financial um, investment and to maintain that over time. So finances are a big part of this. Um, and because of the inherent rural nature of farming, because you need big space to to do some of the large scale farming, um, there's a lack of social connectedness. And um, that's not only because of place, but also because of the demands of the occupation. Uh, this is, you know, like we said earlier, going on vacation or, you know, heading down to some place for, you know, happy hour may not be in the cards for someone who is still trying to, you know, harvest their land. And and when it's.
0: Though, if you roll up to that nightclub in that combine.
1: Oh, my gosh. Talk about.
0: That's not like some BMW or what anyone can buy a BMW. Are you kidding? No,
1: it's not. No. I saw anybody pulling up to bar in a
0: combine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hello. Hello.
1: <laughs> no, it's. Um, I
0: interrupted you for my fun joke, but uh, go on. Uh, th- so they they don't uh, they they. It, it's hard to catch. It, it's hard to take time off. It, it, it's
1: hard to take yeah. time off, but really, what time off is is about is really. I mean, there's lots of ways to spend your time but it's you know a lot of that is about social connection when we lack um consistent social connectiveness as we have all really experienced in the past year um it has a a short mid and long-term effect on our mental well-being and um so so when we research farmer stress we see that these finances um the rurality the social connectedness issues the um uh perception of, of appreciation or lack thereof or understanding um these are all and and the vigilance needed uh for on the farm safety um are are all these really big factors that research is starting to show are cont- contributing to this mm. a big one though sean is Same. shane sorry
0: you're good happens that. all the time i uh, just like I, oh no it's fine i just nip it in the butt now rather than otherwise if i let you do it four times and then i'm like actually it's then you're gonna be like why didn't you tell me the other three times now so. i'm
1: just sitting here like like a jerk <laughs> um, <laughs> well um the, here so here's the other point shane yep. this is really um critical to how we talk about farmer stress and it's about the stigma. Um, This, and it goes back to that agrarian imperative notion. Um, This cultural um, pull, this cultural need to show that everything is fine, we're all strong, we're very autonomous, we take care of our own, we can take care of ourselves. Uh, We never need support or help from anyone else ever. Um, that is extremely detrimental and incredibly isolating uh, uh, just in and of itself um, because we do need each other. And so for this group of individuals in particular that are really mired in the notion of um, uh, providing and giving, actually receiving help is... Is just um it's very difficult and so there's there's some stigma that's associated with reaching out for help and accepting it
0: so what are the uh because I, I i just saw little bits of there's uh some kind of uh high is this kind of m- maybe more toward the anecdotal side but there's uh, potentially um higher suicide rates associated with having to kind of give up the farm feeling like you've yeah. feeling like you've let down, you know, past generations and your family and, uh, that sort of, I, I can, I can say, uh, anecdotally the, the kind of like old McDonald's, um, farm that I used to visit no longer was, uh, you know, eventually sold. It was, it had been gone through generations and, and, uh, I, I know, I know both of uh, him and his wife were, I think, under a tremendous amount of stress and eventually had to um, get into other lines of work and everything else. I also know, uh, I have, like, an old friend from high school that, oddly enough, would have never expected it from him or his personality, like, got into, like, Making organic soap or something like that and just got it just got sucked into it. like he didn't he didn't have like a big hippie beard like me or anything he wasn't like <laughs> someone you'd expect to but he just got way into organic uh like making his own stuff and it wasn't like his upbringing or anything like that and he now owns i think a pretty successful farm doing um you That's know awesome uh, free range, this and that. And I haven't talked Uh, to him in 20 years, but
1: I can nearly guarantee you no one who probably knew me in uh, high school and early college would have thought I would have ended up as a professor. I wasn't really taught in one class. Um, so we all end up in weird ways and in different places in life. But so I'm, I'm glad to hear that he's followed, you know, his interests and, 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 um,
0: the, and um... the the so I was talking about the uh, the the dark aspect of it of of when uh, as industrialized farming kind of gets bigger and bigger and these smaller farms often can't compete or whatever else happens, uh, climate change and everything else that that is happening um, and someone has to give up their farm that's that's associated with higher risks of of suicide and uh, other.
1: Um, yeah yeah so you, you you said it might be anecdotal it's not completely anecdotal we do know based on some very hard evidence that uh the rate of suicide uh amongst uh, male farmers is actually about twice that of their non-farming counterparts mm-hmm. so we're talking age um ethnicity uh you know graded comparisons here the difficulty in getting some real numbers on farmer suicides is because in so many states they don't they might track self-harm or completed suicides or they might actually track the that kind of vital statistic But there's so many times that they don't ask what was that person's profession and they Mm. don't keep track of that in reportable ways. So Mm. that is one area that we're really looking to hope to to influence and to change is that we can start to understand um, a little bit more uh, looking at at some of the data over time. The 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 reality is that Caucasian middle aged men are at greatest risk of, um, completing suicides, uh, than any other group Mm -hmm. that is that, that middle-aged white male, that's where we, we see the highest incidences. And so I, I don't know anybody who doesn't think of specifically that description when they think of farming. Now there's lots of other groups who farm, there's lots of other, you know, uh, age groups and and crop focus and all this other kind of stuff but above and beyond what we are seeing uh are are these middle-aged white men what's particularly challenging what adds a whole nother layer on is that some of them are military veterans and so when and the research is very clear on this that if you are a middle-aged male veteran who farms we want, we want you to be, take very good care of yourself because that's where we see some of these greatest in, indices of, of suicide.
0: Hmm. What about the policy side of things is, are there, are there any, uh, do you, do you guys look into any of the, um, like when you talked about how expensive chicken was, uh, are there, uh, What do you think of ideas tossed around about kind of syntax on all of the garbage, like cereals and stuff and like processed this and that, that no one should have, and maybe some credits for certain incomes for like a produce credit or or something like that? Is that that anything you ever see happening or feasible in any way?
1: It's not something that I think that would ultimately be of major benefit to to farmers on really a whole lot of scales um so like just bringing like letting that trickle down to farmers there's just so much um political milk you that goes into all of that that the i think the Um, ultimate effect wouldn't really be on helping farmers or producers because there's there's lots of other ways to do that and you know, I, I don't know. I try to stay away from. I try to be fairly apolitical uh, when it comes to policy work, and just really focus on helping as many people as possible. But um, healthy nutrition and education around that can drive people to eating more fruits and vegetables, and and you know, pro- healthy protein, and for them and so I think just healthy lifestyles in general is what we should be promoting mm-hmm. um, rather than, than taxing and acting in very punitive ways for people because we know, and there's any parents that are listening on here, we know that um, punishment produces a short-term outcome on behavior, whereas um, rewards like feeling healthy, not having the inflammation in our in our bodies or um, tasting really good food, those are rewards to us. And that's going to be far more sustainable to not only us as humans, but also to the farming community as well, because people keep going back uh, to the healthier options that maybe are local with their farmers mar- local farmers markets and that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm. I'm. So, I'm less punitive
0: and more. I. I see. Well, that's. Well, that's very interesting. That there could be these uh, kind of unforeseen uh, positive downstream effects of people taking better care of their individual health. Uh, speaking of um, uh, Herman Ponser, who I had, uh, who he just wrote this book called "Burn," that was all about the evolution of human metabolism and he's been a guest a few times and uh, really terrific but he he shared a study that was that was talking about um they took the exact same food the exact uh, the, the they they put people in um you know the like these uh however they did the 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 study in this hyperbolic kind of way they controlled exactly what people were eating and they gave them the exact same food in two ways they gave the the control group um food just unprocessed and then they gave the the experimental group the exact same food but processed and the experimental group um gained weight the control group lost weight uh in in that that's interesting yeah and um and, and so uh yeah that that's something that could i I mean I think that that's something that i' I see going in the right direction I think people are being um more and more mindful of their of their personal health and kind of uh you know i I think like my parents generation when coca-cola was like this new treat that you got once in a while or whatever was you know it, it started it started pretty innocently <laughs> um uh, innocent-ishly and uh and then you know it just as as we were able to afford more and um it became abundant i i think that i think that we're just still kind of Suffering some of those consequences of of abundance and having more and more of easily just ease of processed stuff and quick and easy and convenient. And
1: you know, I think about people in rural communities a lot day to day. Um, And worked in for for a number of years in some very remote areas in West Tennessee that were food deserts and food access really impacts the types of food we can have and we can eat and what's affordable to us so in some of these communities that we were working in the source of their food that that was accessible to them was at the local dollar general and they were you know so what's so what are what's there right mm-hmm. what what's accessible there and so we we can put different things into place but unless people have access to options that that they can you know use to contribute to a healthy lifestyle it's really it's difficult um but you were just talking about coca-cola and i'm going to get us off track for a second i might be aging myself but do you remember clear coca-cola
0: I thought it was clear Pepsi.
1: Was oh, it? Was it clear Pepsi?
0: Yeah, it was clear Pepsi. I thought here. I thought we were having like a Berenstein Bears kind of parallel universe. What reality are we in? Situation, but it was, it was Crystal Pepsi. That's what it oh, was. Oh, was, that's it right. Was See, look at what Pepsi.
1: marketing does over time. How it's really uh, pulled me back over onto the. Uh, <laughs> that's right, Chris. It wasn't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna say something it, i didn't like it It didn't think it was good
0: but it was like <laughs> wow well you just you probably just got me in a lot of trouble with uh both pepsi and my listeners because people have a real fondness for crystal pepsi but i'll, well, I'll let you do. share your... <laughs> they do well
1: then uh, maybe i can pull somebody but be- people back i really did like this slimer slimer ecto cooler um okay computer.
0: so well Right. Again, you're losing me a little bit, but uh, all right to each their own. So so when you say food desert, what do you mean uh, by that? Like when what what's the what's the line? Like how, how does how, how does one categorize that? Like this area is a food desert.
1: Uh, Yeah. So there are some very specific criteria that people a lot smarter than me um, actually know about. But when you're driving for 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes an hour and a half just to get to someplace to get enough ingredients to make a single meal on on your own, Mm -hmm. um, I would consider that a food desert these are the same places that have very high concentrations of fast food restaurants. So, you know, there, there are these, it's, it's just, it's, there's not an abundance of options. You see um, their food options are coming from maybe the local convenience store, uh, things like that.
0: Now what about, um, uh... Uh, what about um, I'm just thinking about the uh, because we were talking earlier about the, the ways in which various uh, every everything's connected with uh, with everything else. And, and there's all of these unforeseen impacts. Uh, we had Deb Miller talking about um, the loss of uh, of of biodiversity. And uh, and that increasing, base, basically making all wildlife pack closer and closer together, making disease spread within a species more abundant because the because they're closer together, and then and then zoonosis and uh, the diseases that are able to uh, get into another species and and kind of. Wh- Often when that happens, I, I have to imagine that's like that that can sometimes be uh, like what COVID is now, like an invasive species sort of situation where you have like a, you might have a gi- giant Asian hornet that it, that in its in its native area, the bees have have uh, evolved a- along through however many thousands of generations, this nice, balanced evolutionarily stable system of 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 evolutionary arms race and now when the hornet comes into the hive the 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 bees have adapted to swarm it and smother it and and sometimes the hornet wins and a lot of times the bees win so the this giant asian hornet isn't the it's just a part of life where it is but then all of a sudden it comes over in a container ship and goes in into the shores in washington and gets out and none of these none of the bees are equipped to they they haven't evolved to learn this strategy to deal with this this new thing and they're kind of left defenseless and this can happen from a disease standpoint with all of the global travel with all of the uh the modern zoonosis happening i have to imagine that um that uh, farming with, uh, have plays. Farming has always. My understanding is farming has always kind of played a part in um, modern human relationships. Host-host uh, uh, virus kind of uh, uh, evolutionary arms race. But the but I I would think that industrial farming is um, is uh, catalyzing this in in many instances.
1: Yeah, I, I I think good, I think it's easy. I think, you know, honestly, I think a lot of us wanna have a um, something that we can point to and say, ah, it's that, that's the yeah, problem right. over there. And if we just didn't have that, then it'd be fine. So let's just, we could just change that and fix anything. That's not the case mm-hmm. with just about anything in life, but um, it's really not the case here. Um, I don't think we can villainize large scale farming yeah. um, because if we want to keep the costs affordable, right. right producing, we do need that. Um, and we do need to, of course, think about it in very sustainable ways and do all of that. But I think the, when we talk about how one thing leads to another and affects each other, specifically from like a one health standpoint, um, really understanding all of the, um, the factors that go into um, producing and it's not just on the farm setting. These are, oh, you know, uh, forestry as well. I mean, think about the, the, the turnaround of that industry. There's a long, that's a long-term industry, right? You can't just Mm -hmm. make one little tree in a short amount of time. And so it's, um, I, 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 I caution people about just picking one thing and saying that's where the problem is. That's where we need to change it. So think about it. If you, if we wanted to, to villainize large scale farming, let's, let's take it out. Well then who, where's our food coming from? Right.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not so much uh, talking about like, you know, there, there's all these really compelling documentaries that we can watch and we can get super bad at monsanto and picture like yeah. someone twirling their mustache and as they're plotting uh taking over the world and
1: i actually have a fake mustache that i have to wear sometimes uh, dude um, just to be in it? some meetings and, yeah, yeah you should it's, it's a whole thing
0: that's smart yeah that's good yeah, well
1: yeah they give it to you when you graduate you have to like
0: perfect yeah. uh but but they're you know i i guess i'm just thinking about um much like the loss you know we kind of started this conversation by saying um uh, or within the beginning of the conversation we mentioned the mismatch with our uh uh, from our you know uh, from our ancestors and the kind of environment that they were in the kind of environment we were built for and the kind of environment we are in now and and things are just changing really quickly and 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 industrialized farming is fairly new just just like the internet's new. I I think the internet's fantastic, but we're still, you know, sorting out awkwardly sorting out various like regulatory mechanisms and yeah. and what what the best way to manage it is and same with, you know, things like there's lots of conversation going on with social media platforms or cryptocurrency and anything that's kind of new and revolutionizing things there's going to be some adjusting and and it's going to have some effects that we don't see and and we're going to have to kind of like reassess what as uh culture and communities and stuff we we might want and and i i mean i i think people do get a little upset when when they see like it ju- just from a consumer advocate point of view, if I want uh, if I'm going to spend a little extra money for a free range chicken, I'm thinking like, OK, this chicken's like out and not corralled in some in some area. But but the 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 standard of that is like you need a 10 by 10 space outside of your thing that the. That the chicken might might not ever see because it's too packed in with all of the other right. chickens, right. and I yeah. I at least I at least want to know like yeah uh, like sure have have the bargain I'll still buy the bargain bin stuff when I'm on a budget or whatever else, but but when I when I actually do want to buy the thing that's organic quote unquote or or the thing that's quote unquote free range. I actually want it to be the thing that I'm, right. that I'm purchasing, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, yeah. and I think a lot of people do. And I think that there is a demand, um, for that. And, and, and much like we might, we might, or, or as we become more mindful of these modern problems, we might reorient our perception to all of the sudden being very impressed when someone has a combine which we normally uh, uh, think of like i think a lot of people think of like lower class or like uh hillbilly or something like that you know like this is like if, if you have a combine,
1: millions that's of dollars, that, man. That's
0: multiple Lamborghinis <laughs> that person is, yeah. is, is, yeah. is driving. I would like a
1: farm, you know what? I would like a farm cribs show. <laughs> I, would like, I would like somebody yeah. to go to the different farms and be like, this driveway uh, over here in this paddock, we have our, uh, our Angus cattle and, uh, we pay, you know, these are really expensive things.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess I'm just, uh, I'm talking about, you know, like having an informed society where we can use democracy to help shape what we, not, not necessarily making some, believe me, I am, one year of COVID, I am plenty sick and tired of listening to like conspiracy theorists and this idea of like evil geniuses plotting against us or whatever, but, um, but, but I, I do, I do think people, uh, would like to have a little more, uh, say in the, in the things that they're, uh, consuming. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think they would like, yeah, we, we do crave variety and options and, uh, mainly because we're an aberrant being and don't like being told what to do. So having options makes us feel like we, we made the choice Mm -hmm. and that we're in control, but but that's
0: that's neither here or there. That that's just my own little rant to go on. I mean, of course, look at this beard. Do you think you're not going to get some organic BS rant out of this guy, of course you are. Uh well, let, let's uh, okay, let's focus. Farm stress. What what's the situation? What what can we do about farms is this a is this a matter of um of of education of providing resources Uh, but you know
1: i'll kind of go back to what i said earlier about i don't think that we can point our finger one thing yeah um and it's the same thing here there's a multitude of reasons and it's it's both individualistic in its nature but collective in It's manifestation in how we are talking about it. And so what I mean by that is we feel the stress and and individuals that are experiencing stress are are feeling it in their lives. But here we are as a group and as a society trying to respond to it is a whole for a whole group of people. So so I don't think that we can just take a a one. There's not one answer here we have to come up with lots of different ways. And so the first one that we're doing, at least in our Southern network right now, is uh, we're, we're doing some SWOT analyses, trying to figure out what the strengths and weaknesses and those opportunities and threats, what, what's going on in the South in particular um, around farmer stress? What are the resources? Are they accessible? how are they being used? Are they culturally relevant? Uh, Just all of these, these factors that like, so that we can understand if there are resources, if the answer is yes, there's plenty of resources out there. Then the next thing we can start to try to unpack is, well, then why aren't the resources being utilized or are they being utilized? And maybe they are, But they're not effective, so let's change that. So there's a lot of steps and a lot of pieces in this puzzle. Um, So that's we're starting out right now in the southern region, really focusing on just canvassing the southern states to try to figure out what is going on, Um, why why is uh, why are our agricultural producers um, under you know and reporting. Um, increased levels of stress and why are we seeing higher rates of uh, completed suicides amongst this group? Um, So really the initial stages are really just trying to learn, um, which to somebody like me, I love learning, but I get really frustrated because I'm like, okay, let's go and let's run ahead and fix it, right? Let's just fix it. And I think we have to be careful and we have to make sure that we have a strong understanding so that we can fix it. Well, with while well, mitigating the unintended consequences that are always there mm-hmm. and um, addressing it in a really long term fashion. And so in order to do that, yeah, we've got to educate people. We've got to start talking about it. Uh, I think um, this is a side note. I I I've, I've gotten back into watching Melrose Place um, from way back when. And I've noticed um just how much things have changed over time. And one of the biggest things I've noticed is how they talk about mental health. There would not be a show on today that would, would talk the same way about mental health as old Mels did back in the day, right? There, and so so we, um, we've evolved in how we talk about mental health and emotional well-being over the yeah. past 20, 25 years. And that's what we're looking to do with this very work. Right now. We're looking f- to make a long have a long-term conversation. Agriculture is huge. Think about one of those huge combines. You are not gonna turn it on a dime. You have to shift it a little bit at a time. And that's what we're trying to do um, with, with ag and the ag producers. So so that we can start to shift that agrarian imperative so that we can start to say, okay, we recognize this, but it doesn't always have to stay this way. We can start to shift the way we talk, the way we use resources, the way we support one another. And so education, like I said, big part of that. Another part of that is educating the people who are intervening. So educating counselors, educating uh, physicians, so we do know that farmers, if they they if they're um, if they're in front of a doctor, they're more likely a primary care physician. They're more likely to talk about um, maybe some of the stress they've been experiencing and and ways of saying, "Well, I've been more tired lately. I've been more forgetful. Um, I made some mistakes the other day uh, and forgot to close the one gate, and it made things a little dangerous." So. Um, they'll, they'll start to talk about some of the, um, the, the externalizing behaviors, if you will, um, that, that speak about stress and mental health. So we are working to educate uh, medical providers uh, on really recognizing mm. those signs and symptoms and being able to have critical conversations. So it's not just educating the public. Or farmers, but it's also educating all of those that are proximal to their lives, that um, right down to the the banking lenders. So we know from actual research, economic agricultural economic research, that a farm is more likely to to go into financial default. Uh, when you see three or more missed payments on something, when you start to see um, increased utilization of credit lines or an expansion of credit lines. And so we have the, there's a whole formula. And so how can we educate lenders and companies to say, if you, if this, if these Uh indices, then you have to have the response, you have the responsibility to say, I've been noticing these things. Here's here are resources. And so if we have medical professionals doing this, the lenders doing this, the school teachers who are seeing the kids and, and their behaviors, maybe they're not coming to school on time as much anymore, things like that. Um, when we start to educate about this um, by looking at all the different areas in a community in and individuals and family's life, we can start to address this. Um, So for our farm stress work, uh, we're learning, we're educating, we are, um, we are intervening. We are looking and working with people who are expanding broadband accessibility into these really rural areas so we can increase telehealth options, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's nothing for you and I to sit here on a video conference call, but I, I have tried to connect with people in rural West Tennessee, for instance, and it's a it's really difficult to get any kind of connectivity. So uh, we have some really great work happening in Tennessee dedicated to to broadband expansion. Um, and then with that, there's. Uh, really working with communities and helping communities understand the best ways to support um, Farmers, ranchers, and foresters, in um, in all the ways that they need it.
0: Amazing. Well, uh, I I have really was hoping for a silver bullet answer for all of this. <laughs> I'm <but> so sorry <laughs> to disappoint you. You, were, <laughs> <laughs> you, you
1: and me but, both. That, my to do list would be but, so much shorter.
0: <laughs> but in 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 spite of that, it seems like you're in. in a very very short amount of time are already connecting a lot of and important nodes and and coming up with uh, uh, some solutions and more importantly just gathering uh, information so you actually know what the what the problems are before uh, uh, so you know how to solve them correctly and make yeah sure that... that's
1: that's the beauty of working in the field where that I work in and and that's the land grant university system working with extension. We do everything uh, in research-based ways, so we're never just trying to make things up as we go along. We, um, we want to know something's going to be effective, and really, that's great for the business-minded type of people for a return on investment. We know that when we institute an option or suggest a, a, a way to change something, that the return on investment is going to be there. That it, that it, the effectiveness is there, and so that's what we're trying to do. Um, we're, we're not trying to tell anybody how to live or how to change, you know. Uh, their that's what social media is for. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's right. Um, but we are trying to help people live their best lives, and um, and whatever way that that means for them.
0: So, last little thing. This is. I'm. I'm going to probably ask you to be wildly speculating, and maybe you'll be getting out of your comfort zone a little bit here. Here, but what about all of us that aren't farmers, but we we come from, which is most of us. We come from this long line of. I mean, yes, our our hunter gatherer roots were are are still there and we're just a huge huge part of our evolutionary history and and agriculture is as much newer but it's been very very impactful and you're kind of mentioning epigenetics and everything else uh and but we are now in a place where we've gone from uh, i mean how many how many people were farmers a hundred two hundred years ago lots of people Uh, a a good part of the population and and this is this could go along with a, a kind of bring this up in terms of the industrial revolution as well where it's still that same mindset of of like toughing it out and working as hard as possible and all and there was so much pride attached to that that it's i think that there's this Modern problem where, um, where thought work is, is underappreciated because it's, it's so, it's so much easier to see a result, to see that tangible, like, I made five of these, these parts for an engine today or whatever is, is easier to see than like, i I'm tinkering with this idea for a better engine. It's not quite there yet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and most, most of my best work is I spend a lot of time doing like clicking things, copying, pasting, they like getting back to emails. Just like, you know, I, I sometimes risk running myself down doing stuff that like you can kind of see happening. Yeah. M- yeah. Much of my best work is just sitting and thinking just, yeah. Taking a break, sitting in th- the like, I might be kicked up in a hammock. That's the most productive I'm being that day. Um,
1: I think we what we're looking to do here is to brand um, thought work. We need we need a marketing campaign around the internal and the importance of internal uh,
0: processes.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the same notion though. I, I do a lot of work in, in uh, talking about socio-emotional intelligence and um, how it's really difficult to to give to show somebody that you've made a lot of change uh, with a group um, in their emotions and um, because they get along better maybe. But if we take that all the way out, so so I talk about bringing back to farm stress and the idea of taking care of themselves emotionally, mentally and with relationships and everything is, I talk about it from a productivity point of view. And if you wanna put like hard numbers on it and and behavioral economists are really good at understanding and, and conveying this, but I'm going to be way more productive when I'm not under my blank weighted blanket at home, um, trying to avoid, um, my, my ever growing email inbox. Right. So, um, and that's me on a not very mentally healthy day, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully that day hits on a Saturday or a Sunday, but if it ha- happens on a Tuesday, that's really busy. I'm, I may call in sick to work. And so I'm not being productive in my field. And it's the same thing here that we're talking about. Um, If we prioritize uh, mental and emotional wellness, we'll see the returns uh, and and in terms of productivity, whether it's obvious or not, but we'll see those returns at some point Mm -hmm. um, in the future. So maybe your best work is in that hammock thinking about things, But eventually those are things may actually manifest into the next iteration of your podcast, your next stand-up, your next this, your next that. So I do think that it's just it's the difference between instant gratification and -hmm. being able to see something uh, versus putting the time investment into producing.
0: What about the problem of, as we, as we talk about mental health, as we talk about um, kind of lowering stress, as, as we talk about these kind of preventative things, it's so difficult to get people to appreciate the not getting COVID, or <laughs> yeah. not being depressed, you yeah. know, I, I know from someone that's had a lot of depression issues, I, I do like this last year, I had noticeably lower in the scope of it, looking back, noticeably lower depression than in a normal year. And that's great. And that's something that I appreciate, but you, it's hard. It's harder to appreciate those things. It's, it's, it's easier to treat the symptoms, you know,
1: it is because, you know, when, when we're feeling great, we're just zooming along, right. We're doing, we're doing all the things. And I'm, I, this is one of the things I'm personally very guilty of when I feel great. I'm, I'm going, I'm doing all Mm -hmm. the things. And to the point where I'll wear myself out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, wait, whoa, whoa. So maybe I need to actually value downtime. Maybe I need to value not having 800 plates spinning because I'll actually be able to run a longer race mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, be so short sighted. But it's, um, yeah, the value of not feeling a certain way or not having that especially if it's not a common experience like and i think that's one of the issues with covid is like covid's not a common experience was not a common experience until a year ago right and so um we didn't know what having it or not having it would feel like and now that you know there's so many people that unfortunately have felt you know what it's like to have it um, or how it's affected their families or loved ones in their communities it's um it's it's just a different feeling of um that whole it's like pain avoidance right mm-hmm. like unless we know how painful something is we may not actually avoid it and that's mm-hmm. probably about the same thing here
0: yeah you gotta you gotta touch the burner to know to not touch the burner <laughs> uh, um so do you have any, Um, as we're wrapping up, uh, I want listeners to check out One Health Initiative, uh, dot com, and uh, and have a look at, Heather, if people want to take a look at some of your uh, work, where should they go?
1: Ooh, they should go to, let's see here, Ag.tennessee. let's see. Shane, I might have to edit this, I'm sorry.
0: That's okay. And then, do you have any other like uh call to action? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, stuff?
1: So, yeah. So, thanks so much for asking about that. Um, I would probably point listeners to ag ag.tennessee.edu. And you spell Tennessee with t- two N's and two S's and. Two E's on the end, I always say, but, um, uh, so ag.tennessee.edu, uh, if you're interested, particularly in our one health work, uh, add a backslash one health, all one word and another slash on to get to that page. And, um, you know, we're doing a lot of really important work with, um, with our land grant institutions and with extension, uh, in particular, but, um, I guess a call to action might be eat some vegetables, eat some fruits, grab, grab the chicken, Easy. Have, have a hamburger, do all the things. Um,
0: well, some, you know, I, what I find to be the case is that sometimes learning about things like this and just increasing my, uh, the, your mindfulness yeah. can help can help drive and uh, help you execute and implement in your life the things that you wanted to be doing anyway. And because it's always, it's one thing to intellectually know something, it's another to kind of feel it in your core and integrate it into who, who you are. And sometimes it's it just takes the right number of connections before it's like, okay, all right, for the farmers, i'll i'll eat i'll (laughs) eat vegetables what we're
1: hoping is that this is a tipping point for people
0: (laughs) yes 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 (laughs) exactly
1: i'll do it for the farmers this time (laughs) all Um, right
0: i don't want to but give me that broccoli yeah
1: no i do think that um one of my hopes really is that people and they listen to this and maybe they'll stumble upon another um, article about farm stress or that sort of thing and and maybe pay a little bit more attention to the topic. Um, Because as the issue grows and our response to it grows, we are going to need public support and we are going to need people to come forward with more great ideas. And we want young investigators and young minds to come forward and join the One Health Initiative and think about things in really complex ways that that simultaneously make our brains explode and ask more questions at the same time
0: <laughs> well not just explode but reorient our perception yeah. too so that uh, that we, we we now live within a new perception a perception where now you're not just driving past mind numbing flat farmland through the midwest for Hours now you're tri- now you're like oh damn look at that combine over there. he's a ball of <laughs> <combine. Yeah>, exactly <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> know, knowing more about life and reality enriches it and makes it that much more interesting and makes you and all of us more interesting together. So our, so thank you, Heather Sedges, for joining the Here We Are podcast. I appreciate having you.
1: Thank you, Shane. I appreciated being here
0: with you. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you more next week. Thank you for watching, everybody. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, learning difficulties and uh, reframing Maslow's hierarchy of needs and kind of a looser one, real, real jokey and, and fun and, and uh, goofier. It was definitely a goofier uh, episode in a good way. But it was a goofier episode than normal. Just sometimes I'm in a more peculiar mood, and so we we have uh, more laughs than usual. Maybe slightly less science than usual next week, but uh, but a really a really fun episode. Regardless, um, if you can support on Patreon, cool. If you can't, there's lots of free ways to support the artists you like. For example, write a review of your favorite podcasts. That helps the uh, iTunes algorithms know what to uh, put out to people. If you're on YouTube, uh, engage with comments and I'll, uh, I'll try to respond and that's a way of, of generating uh, more um, more stuff so the algorithms send it out to more people and also just so, so people seeing it know that there's other people interested out there. It is a funny thing that there's so much you know life is busy and full of all sorts of uh, all sorts of uh, things to take in and um, so uh, you know uh, launching something from from a, uh, more of like a grassroots sort of situation. It's challenging to get the ball rolling because everyone's like, oh, what's the popular thing? It just makes life easier, you know, like, oh, this show everyone's talking about. I'll watch the show everyone's talking about. It makes sense, right? But sometimes there's hidden gems like the Here We Are podcast that need your individual support, that need a little bit more of a nudge to get out there. Because it's not really made, you know, like I said, I I don't have celebrities on here. It's it's not, uh, we're not talking about the same, you know, music or sports or whatever. Like the stuff that just everyone in the world is into. You know, we're talking about... uh, weird science about farm stress that you're never going to hear anywhere else but damn it's so interesting aren't you glad that you get to learn about this weird stuff that like it 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 adds to it adds to your conscious perception and piecing together uh the world and getting to learn so so much about the various different pieces of the world being put together rather than just the same stuff that everyone's into. Unless, of course, this becomes wildly popular and everyone's liking it, then you should also like it too because you should only like popular things. All right. Um, With that, I do want to say once again, if you're on Patreon, make sure and keep an eye out for the posts that I make for the group hangs. I've found through doing them that some people have been a little nervous about meeting new pe- I think people that are into science are like me, they're kind of introverted. I know I don't seem introverted and I put on a thing, but, I, but my, my natural predisposition is introvert. So there, there's, you know, more introverts probably that are that are fans on here than than a lot of your average podcasts so please either don't be shy or be shy and come anyway because i appreciate your support on patreon too but i, w- I would love for you to be a part of the community and get the benefit um of it too because it's been fun hanging out with people so uh so check that out join the game night Join a group overshare where uh, we all blab too much about what's going on and skip all the small talk and just get into the meat of what life is all about and have fun philosophical conversations and get to blow off some steam and talk about the great things that we have going on in our lives as well. So it's just been super cool, in my opinion, and we've been getting a, good, a lot of good feedback. So, uh, so check it out if you like. But otherwise, uh, leave a review for this show, share it, tell a friend, you know, whatever. There's there's a uh, there's a million free ways you can help uh, spread the word about uh, my little science show. All right. You guys are awesome. Thank you.